probably did, referred to things in the Sermon on the Mount in a variety of situations. But Matthew, oh, Matthew takes it and puts it all together. So chapter 5, 6, and 7 make up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And it's concise and laid out to you. Uh, now, you could do, uh, you could find an abundance of outlines for the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not against any of them, as long as they're focused on relationships and Jesus, I have no problem with any of them. So everybody has their own outline, but I want to get to my outline. Uh, and we're only going to deal with chapter 5, so we won't get very far uh, at all. But in chapter 5, you'll notice it says, and it seems of all the Jews, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and talked to them. Now the indication is that this is a focus on the disciples alone. In other words, he's only teaching his disciples. Multitude is there, no, no problem. We don't, have, we don't have any problem with the crowd. But this is really for his disciples. And basically what he's doing is he's saying, hey, I want, I want you to know what you get yourself into on that. You know, you're a hey, Obviously this is probably at the, uh, somewhat at the beginning of his ministry. So he's gathered his disciples together and said, hey, I want to lay it out for you. I want you to know what you're walking here, walk, what you're walking into. And uh, what you're going to embrace in this whole thing. And so the Sermon on the Mount is a concise explanation of the entirety of what the new kingdom is all about, that Jesus is established. Now, he starts out, of course, with the Beatitudes. And we're calling the Beatitudes, uh, this is my outline, we're calling the Beatitudes the uh, formation. Think of a word. Formation of the kingdom. Now this is chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Uh, it is 12, isn't it? Yeah, 12. Then he says, after he gives his formation, in other words, this is the premise. And the Beatitudes are the premise. Now the Beatitudes are not bumper stickers. In other words, they're not individual, nice, concise statements. Oh, that's a cute statement. I'll put that on my refrigerator. That's something. That's Proverbs. The attitudes build one on the other. And they, uh, they, they're forming something. So we're calling this the formation of the Beatitudes, the formation of the kingdom, because it's in the formation of the kingdom, in the, in the Beatitudes, that he gives you the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pound this premise for you. Uh, if you don't get anything out of today at all, I hope you get the premise. Because if you miss the premise, you're going to misinterpret the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is not a list of rules. It's not a instruction manual on how to put your life together. Yeah, it's not the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a description of a kingdom person. And the formation of that kingdom person is given to us in the Beatitudes. Then he moves us to the function of the kingdom. Now, how would this function on the streets? In other words, hey, let's take what's just been formed in the kingdom person and let's walk it out into my job, down at my home, living with my wife, operating in my culture, and what would this thing look like there? And he tells us 
how it functions in our world. And it's interesting that it functions in terms of salt and light. That's the imagery he uses. Now, why would he use imagery of salt and light? He uses that imagery because you can't do it, which fits the premise. In other words, you either are salt or you aren't. You either are light or you aren't. You can't, oh, I'm going to go out and do light now. You know, you can't say, oh, I, I decided I'll be salt. No, you either are or you aren't. So it's a state of being. So what he's giving us in the formation fits into the function because this, and it isn't, it isn't that there aren't activities to accomplish. It's not, it's not just, it, we're not proposing laziness. We're not proposing, get your shoes off, make back in the, in a lazy boy or point or do nothing. Because there's all kinds of activity. Uh, for instance, if you look in verse 16, let your light so shine for a minute and you see your good works. So he's advocating activity. But you understand the activity that you're going to experience is comes from a state of being, which you either are or you are. You don't do these things and become. You become and then do these things. That's all it is. So he gives us the function, and it's the soul and light function. Then he moves you into the fulfillment of the kingdom. Now this is a huge section, and it goes from chapter 5, verse 17 through 48, the end of chapter 5, uh, the fulfillment of the kingdom. But this is divided into two sections. One is the acknowledgement of the kingdom, which is chapter 5, verse uh, 17 through 20. Where he says, let me establish this, let me set this up for you. And he, uh, he turns to them in verse 17 and says, uh, uh, well, he was looking at his crowd. And in looking at his crowd after he'd given the formation and the function, he saw that they were a bit confused. Uh, which I've seen all the crowds like that. <laughs> but I got done. Anyhow. He looks at his crowd and recognizes that, uh, see, Jesus, you realize, they had 
See, they just got all bent out of shape because Jesus, the defilement laws, all these rules, Jesus defied them. When I wrote, that's why the Pharisees killed them. They plotted murder. Why? Because he's just, he's upsetting our whole apple cart. Jesus just disturbs them. And he was breaking all these. Now, if you were in the crowd then, and you saw Jesus breaking all these, these, these oral traditions, which are all supposedly based on the scripture, what would you think? Oh, well, he's done for the scriptures too. See, that's what you would think. In other words, he's done with our rules, he's done with the scriptures upon which the rules are, are, are based. Therefore, Jesus is starting a whole new law again. He's starting something fresh. He's starting something new. He's starting a new world. He's coming up with a new theology. So Jesus in verse 17 says, Do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. Now I don't want you to think of that. I did not come to destroy the scripture. Law and prophets is the scripture. I did not come to destroy the scripture. Hey, whoa, no, no. In fact, you'll look in verse 17, he says twice. I did not, do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy. Hey, I'm telling you, I did not come to destroy. If you think I came to do away with the scriptures, you're dead wrong. I came to fulfill the scriptures. What I want to do is, I want to take you over the top of your 600. Here's the scripture. Here's the 613. I want to take you over the top of the 613. Take you back and tell you what the scripture really means. Here's all your tradition and all the stuff you've made up. I want to take you back and tell you what it really means. So I didn't come to destroy it. That's really important. I came to fulfill. So he acknowledges the fulfillment of the kingdom. That he is fulfilling everything that's found in the Old Testament. Woo! Now he said, I know you didn't get that. So I want to apply it. Got this application thing. And this is so strong, and we'll not get into this a lot, but he gives six illustrations. Six illustrations of what this looks like. And I have tried desperately to find one single thing in my life that doesn't fit into one of the six illustrations. See, if I can find one thing that doesn't fit into the six, one of the six illustrations, I can say, I can do what I want to do in that area. But they all fit. Every area of my life comes under these six illustrations, and there's no wiggle room at all. So he illustrates it six times in the various uh, functions of our lives. Okay? So there's my outline. That's what we're going to work on. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning in this Sunday school, what I want to discuss with you, and I'm willing to discuss, I want to talk to you about the formation of the kingdom. What are you getting yourself into? What is he establishing? What is he setting up? He calls it the kingdom, Matthew calls it, of the kingdom of heaven. Now, you will find in Luke you've got the kingdom of God, and don't get all pent out shit about that, because Matthew's writing to Jews, and Jews could not, would not, the name of God was so sacred that they would not speak the name of God. 
even when they read the scripture in the sacred word of the in the sacred temple, when they were reading the scriptures, they gave the word God or Lord and they they substituted. And sometimes they would substitute heaven for So Matthew is simply saying, Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, there is a difference. This is the Jewish approach. Okay. So you got kingdom of heaven. Uh, he said, well, I want to tell you, and you'll note in verse in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you go down to verse 10, which is the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he sets up the first beatitude and the last beatitude with this kingdom of heaven thing. Say, this is what I'm defining for you. You are moving. We are going to move into being kingdom people. What is a kingdom person? And he described it in the bad beatitude. So this is his premise. Now, if you're not a kingdom person, none of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is even thinkable. Clear out of reach. Unless you're a kingdom person. So, he begins with this shaping, this premise of what a kingdom person is. Now, in talking to his disciples, one of the things is that in verse, uh, if you go to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, go to verse 28. And so it was when Jesus in any of these things, the people were astonished at his teaching. So he gives the reaction of the crowd. Now, the Greek word for astonished is expresso. That's the Greek word. And it means Knock out of your senses! Did you see this crowd? When Jesus gets up with the Sermon on the Mount, their eyes are put down, their mouths are tied open, their chins on their chest are going, Whoa! Okay, did you hear what I took on this? Never said it. You need to bring your life to it. This is so radical. This is awful. That guy is crazy. Whatever this is, it is, it is. Okay. Now here's where I am. 
Hey, she's on the back of 
running off to Egypt, ran because the king is about to kill her. And went down to her. Here she is pregnant, coming, coming on this, coming on that same mule probably, and, and came into Bethlehem, and man, she can't even find a hotel room. She's gonna, hey, she's gonna have to sleep in a barn and the smell of manure and, and, and her baby is gonna and she's blessed. Thank you. 
crack you open. And I go down to the very core of who you are, the core of your existence, the core of what makes you fit, the core of what forms all of your attitudes, your perspectives, everything that you are about, that, that essence. You know what I find in that core? Absolutely nothing. Who's your help?
and it just envelops you. There's times you just sit and blubber. You just I talked to a lady who lost her husband 10 years ago. She said, I still had moments from And I lived with this hole. I didn't. I want you to treat helplessness over there. I want you to let it overwhelm you. I want you to live in it. I want you to, do, I want you to set up the boundaries and embrace your helplessness. And I want you to live it right there in the middle of your helplessness all the time. Don't ever get cocky. Don't ever step out of bounds.
my perspective becomes clear. Now all the rest of the action, and I'm going to run out of time, and the guy is going to break after this, this man is big as I If you embrace the impossible, if you embrace the helpless, you're not going to hurt. 